episode, we are going to be interviewing David Nishin and discussing the importance of providing quality service to homeowners during the most important and maybe the most emotional decisions of their life. Welcome to the Home Service Toolbox, a podcast dedicated to helping home service providers. Every Wednesday, your hosts, Brian and Olivia, will interview leading experts in both the home service field as well as companies who support the small business owner. Our guests will help you nail down what will and what won't work to grow your business. Whether you're on a job site or taking a break, there's no better time to sharpen your small business skills. Well, I am your host, Brian, and I'm joined by my co-host, Olivia. How are you today? I'm great. I'm really excited for today's episode. I think we're going to learn a lot, Brian. Yeah, I mean, the, pre, the pre-talk has been phenomenal. Yes. I've like, learned a ton already. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is the tw- 20th episode of the Home Service Toolbox, and I'd like to welcome David Nishin, um, the owner of the residential... No, the owner, is that correct? Yeah. The owner of Residential Mortgage Services to the podcast, and he was voted to the top 1% list of mortgage originators in the nation, which is crazy, has 20 years of experience and providing residential home financing for over 4,500 clients, but I think, I mean... We're, uh, we're well over 5,000. Well over 5,000, which is crazy. So, um David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to see you again because we actually did your home financing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a, a little bit of, of, of the conversation from the pre-prep pre, uh, of the call um, or the podcast was, you know, I went to a bank and had a horrible uh, story. And then um, I went to a friend and said, what do I need to do? And they pointed me to you. Um, and I will never go back to a bank for a mortgage. Um, and uh, if David is living and can help me, um, we will be using him. Um, but if not, we will definitely be using some sort of mortgage company. My, my team will succeed me. So I've got about 10 years left. And then you can. my team is full of a bunch of youngsters that are smarter than me and better than me. So they'll, we'll be around for a long time so that um, our clients... And our clients' kids can still do mortgages with our team. That's good to know because eventually I'm going to need to buy a home and I'll know exactly who to go to even if you have retired at that point. So, thanks. Well, I I think it's interesting because the last podcast we were talking – actually, two podcasts ago, we were talking about niching down Mm -hmm. and how important it is to do one thing well. And, you know, prior to to getting on live, uh, we were talking about that concept of, you know, uh, the reason why the difference between – your company and maybe a bank is you do one thing well we do one thing and that's all we do so most of the banks um, they do credit cards auto loans um, savings accounts CDs they do all these other things they're trying to capture uh, a person's total business and most of their mortgage originators are salaried people they work nine to five and their paycheck doesn't change whether they help you or how many loans they close It's a very different model than ours. We're 100% commission. If we don't do a good job, we're not going to get referrals. We're not going to close loans. We're not going to make money. We're not going to be in business. So the only thing I do and my team does is residential mortgage services. The other thing is the bank person and 99% of the people that do mortgage origination uh, work by themselves. And I learned a long time ago that um, putting a team together with a dedicated underwriter, a processor, a loan manager a junior loan officer, and a team that focuses on every part of the process. So there's a lot of things that go into closing a loan. You have appraisals, you have title work, you have homeowner's insurance, you have updated bank statements, you have deposit checks that have to be vetted. 
So somebody on my team is dedicated to each part of the process and they focus on that process to make sure it gets done. And as a team, we're able to provide just an incredible customer service because we've spent the time, the money, and invested in the education to put that team together. And that's a big source of difference between us and almost every other uh, mortgage banker in the state. Wow. So um, I want to tie back to that niching concept. So, you know, if we have a listener who is, you know, in um, the home service industry and they're doing a little bit of everything right now, like... What would you say to them if they're if they've heard this concept of niching um, and they've heard this concept of maybe doing one thing well, but they're afraid of saying no to something? Because I mean, that's the reason why businesses choose to do everything because they need revenue. Sure. Um, so, so, if someone's afraid, or what would you say to encourage them to go over that? So, less? first of all, and what a lot of people say to me when the the mortgage crisis happened about ten years ago and the pie shrank. My business actually increased because what happens when the pie shrinks, the people who aren't very good at it get out of the business, and the people that are really good at it can gain market share. So it's not that um, uh, I know people who can open credit cards, and I know people who have the best rates on auto loans, but it's not what I choose to focus on. So I think what you have to do is um, have people view you as the Obi-Wan Kenobi of finance. And it doesn't matter what that finance is. So if you want to do an equity line, we don't do them. But I know the best companies that do the highest loan-to-value equity lines and have the lowest rates. And I refer you to them. And I refer you to them with confidence because that's all they do. So first of all, if you're going to be considered an expert, it's very hard to be an expert in a wide range of products. So we've decided that, first of all, the market share is plenty big for us if we uh, dedicate our you know, uh, processes to just residential mortgages. But if someone calls and says, hey, we heard you're really good, but I have a commercial loan I need, I'm like, no problem. Over the last 20 years, we've sought out the best in every kind of industry that somebody could call me. And if you need a commercial banker, call me. I've got the best guy. And here's how it helps your business. When that, someone calls that commercial banker and says, hey, I need a residential mortgage, who do you think they're going to send them to? They're going to send them to us because we've proven in our niche that we're the best. And that vast resource of CPAs, financial advisors, and, and people that you've recommended because you've vetted them and they're the best at what they do, you're getting all that business back from them. And that's where you're going to grow and benefit from it. And the other thing is in this day and age, to be an expert in the mortgage industry, my wife laughs at me at night because I don't count sheep. I read mortgage guidelines <laughs> at night because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and FHA, they change their guidelines all the time. So every night what puts me to sleep <laughs> is I read the guidelines and I become you know more knowledgeable. And then I share that information once a week with uh, my team so that my team becomes uh, an expert in that field. I think that's the really important part. When you focus on one thing, you can become an expert and devote more time um, in education because the difference between me and my group and a lot of other people is they don't invest in education and they don't learn all of the changes and nuances and guidelines. Wow. Hearing the passion in your voice just talking about that, I mean, it gets me excited and I know nothing about residential home financing in the slightest. So that kind of makes me think, how did you get so interested in residential home financing? Like, what compelled you to get into this it's, business? It's, it's a cute story, and I'll give you the short version. Um, I had a degree in finance, and I was living in Seattle, Washington, and I was financing restaurants. And there was a lot of very rich Microsoft, Starbucks, Costco, Boeing employees, and when people make a lot of money, they want to own a restaurant for some reason. So I started a, a company that built 
and ran restaurants and put money together with restaurateurs, and it was very successful. But it was in a big city. I grew up in Boston, lived in New York, lived in Seattle. I have a twin brother, and he is a doctor, and he decided to move to Greensboro, North Carolina. We did not want to live 3,000 miles apart from each other, and so the bet we made was whoever got married first, the other had to relocate. Well, I'm the extrovert. All of my brother's past girlfriends were girls that I didn't want to date and maybe thought they'd be interested in dating him. He was an introvert. I thought I had it made. This bet is one. My brother's going to move to Seattle. I underestimated nurses. Within six months, he met a nurse. (laughs) Got engaged and told me I needed to move all my personal belongings to Greensboro within the next 12 months to fulfill and honor our bet. And I was happy to do it because I missed my brother. I moved here and I started building restaurants in Atlanta and Charlotte and Raleigh. My brother said, you might as well move back to Seattle. You're never here. We don't see you. And I'm like, got to figure out how to make a living. So I reinvented myself. I started a softball team, and one of the members of my softball team, his wife, ran the southeast region for First Horizon Home Loans, which at the time was one of the best mortgage companies in the country. He said, I think my wife needs to meet you. Long story short, she started my career. Uh, My first year, I was the Rookie of the Year nationally. The second year, I started my team, um, building my team. And we've been on the top 1% list for years. And I think the main thing is my team and I love what we do. We have a passion for it. And um, that's the short version of how I got started in residential mortgage financing. It was a little bit of luck and a lot of preparation as far as the restaurant business gives you a great um, uh, preparation for mortgage business. Everyone thinks mortgage banking is 9 to 5. It's the exact opposite. Most of my clients work till 5, so you've got to be available to meet with them between 5 and 7. Most people look for real estate on the weekend, so you have to be available on the weekend. And being, coming from the restaurant business, working, my normal shift in the restaurant business was 11 to 11. So the restaurant business is all about hard work. It's all about relationships. It's all about building that um, interpersonal relationship with people. And people do business with people they like, and they need to trust you. So I think my... 20 years in the restaurant business and my finance background really prepared me well for a career in mortgage origination. Wow. So do you miss Seattle? Did Greensboro win you over eventually? Greensboro won me over eventually. I think in our pre-talk we talked about I met my wife here and Mm -hmm. and my daughters, and and, uh, my life is good, and most of my family has moved here. So it was an epic move at the time being a bachelor, but it's worked out tremendously. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so if you ever uh, are looking to decide what you want to do, you just need to put a bet with your sibling. Yeah, uh, exactly. And then you can kind of land where you need to be. Well, my brother's three and he doesn't really talk too much, so I don't think we'll be betting anytime <laughs> soon. But maybe when he gets a little older, we'll talk. But that, I'll keep that story in the back of my mind. That's great. So uh, are you identical twins? We're fraternal. Um, it's easy to tell us apart now. One, I grew a beard. And um, two is my brother has one wardrobe, scrubs. <laughs> and uh, when people, it was, it was bad at first, though. When I first moved here, people thought he was cheating on his fiance because I was single and he was engaged and everybody knew my wife's fiance. She's from Greensboro. And she would get calls at two in the morning and says, hey, we just saw your fiance. He was at, you know, at this uh, <laughs> club or whatever. And, and Allison, my sister-in-law, would call me and say, hey, did you have a good time last night? <laughs> 
And I'm like, are you spying on me? She goes, no, everyone thinks you're Peter and they think he's cheating on me. And so um, I know every, everything you're doing every night of the week. So it was that's pretty funny. funny. That's wow. funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, um, so you've been in this business a long time. Mm. And uh, one of the things that we asked you um, was what were some of the things that you've learned um, while doing your business? So the first thing is, when I started, it was a lot easier to get a loan as far as documentation. If you had a 720 credit score, you could do what was called a stated income, stated asset loan. If your income was reasonable for your profession, and if the assets you stated were enough to get the loan, you could get the loan without providing documentation. That all changed when the mortgage crisis hit and mortgage fraud became so prevalent now the documentation is just, you really have to provide pay stubs, bank statements, W-2s, tax returns, profit and loss statements. And so it's, it's become a lot more regulated, and the closing attorneys and the realtors and the mortgage lenders have to go through a lot more steps to vet actual uh, items on the application. So that's the first big change that there's been. The, the thing that's been great the last 10 years, though, is rates have been at all-time low. So there's never been a better time to buy a home or refinance a home because rates have been at historic lows forever. Partially because the uh, federal government subsidized and bought mortgage-backed securities to keep rates low. But, you know, um, the economy has just been very good now. And, you know, also home ownership has become a good investment because properties are appreciating. So for all those reasons, the last 10 years has seen a big change in the mortgage industry. But... I think the regulation is the biggest change that we've had to deal with. It's become a lot more expensive to process, originate, and fund loans. Um, and a lot of people have quit the business because they don't want to deal with all the regulations and all the hoops you have to jump through to get a loan approved. I mean, going back to your point about being experts, I think it's just, um, you know, uh, you make the process very simple. Um, but in order to make the process very simple, you've got to know all of this pieces of information. And I think that really goes back to, you know, what our listeners can take away from that. You know, if, if you choose to niche down and you choose to be very narrow focused and that education allows you to be experts, it, it's one thing to know, but it's another thing to be able to translate that to a simple process. Because, I mean, I was in and out with loan stuff with you and like literally split it. I mean, and that's because of your knowledge. I mean, and that's because you were able to speak to my experience um, without making it complicated. Yeah, I think preparation is the key. We do so much work up front, and then by the time my team takes over, it's just dotting I's and crossing T's. But, you know, here's a simple example of knowledge. So almost every person in their 20s now that comes to see me has student loan debt. And the majority of loan officers, they only think there's one way to account for that debt. So a lot of the debt is in deferment. And so the people think, oh, I don't have a payment on that. That debt doesn't count against me, but it does. Most loan programs, they charge 1% of the loan balance as debt. So if you have a $50,000 you know, student loan, you have to count 1% of that towards your debt. But, but when you're an expert in the industry, you know that Freddie Mac will let you um, only do a half a percent. And that, that could make the difference between qualifying for the loan and not qualifying for the loan. The other thing is a lot of students, their parents pay their student loan debt for them. So if you can get 12 months canceled checks from the parents showing that they pay the student loan and not the child, you can exclude the debt altogether. 
So that's just a quick example I wanted to share with you about being an expert and knowing the difference just on that one topic. And you can imagine how many topics there are in a loan application. But just the student loan part of it is very tricky. Whether you do a USDA loan, a FHA loan, a conventional loan, they all have different guidelines for student loans, and you have to know them all, or you could tell a person that they can't get a loan when they actually could. And that's probably the biggest mistake you can make as a loan originator is denying someone the ability to buy a home just because you didn't have the information that you needed to have. How do you keep (laughs) all that straight? I mean, I feel like your brain must be going in a million directions thinking of all these facts and regulations. And as someone who is in their early 20s and has no idea what they're doing, and honestly, it's quite intimidating, the idea of owning a home in five or ten years. And I feel like so many of us don't know where to start. Do you have any suggestions on, as someone who's young, like what's a good baseline, what's a good starting point, that it's not overwhelming to start considering down this road and it's also going to be attainable because so many of us don't think it is because sure. of student loan debt or because we're not good with our finances or because we have, we've overcharged our credit cards on Starbucks or this, that, and the other. Or Netflix. Or, or Netflix. Or Disney+, Plus. Yeah. in my case. I'm very guilty of that. So the first thing you always want to do, if you want to become a painter, what's the best thing to do? Go see someone who has a successful painting business, you know, who's a, who's a good painter, and ask, ask them questions. So now that we've met Olivia, the first thing we're going to do is set up an appointment, and I'm going to walk you through a Mortgage 101 hour-long seminar so I can start to teach you the basics. So the key to me is long before you want to do something is prepare for it. And, and the key to that is finding someone who's really good at what they do. Now, a lot of mortgage originators, they don't want to take the time to work with someone who's not ready to buy now because they're not going to make a paycheck or a commission on it. But not only do we work with people who don't know when they want to buy a home, <clears throat> we work with all our clients who can't buy a home right now and turn within 12 months, we probably turn 50 to 60 buyers a year who can't qualify now into buyers next year and call our realtor referral sources and say, hey, remember that person you sent me a year ago? We never gave up on them. We got them qualified, and I'm returning them to you as a qualified buyer. Go find them a home. And what do you think that does for our credibility with our referral sources? They're, like, amazed because nobody wants to put in that effort anymore. They want immediate gratification. They want immediate results and immediate money in their pocket. And we don't, we don't operate that way. Our motto is not if you can buy a home, it's when. And, and that served us well over the last 20 years. So you touch on something um, that I think a lot of our audience is dealing with. A lot of people come to us because you know we're in marketing and they just want the leads for now. They want the business now. And you touched on the concept um, uh, about the future, about building the pipeline and doing that. Um, I mean, obviously it's been working for you, but you know before you chose to do that, what, what drew you to putting in the work for people that you may know may never come for six months, a year, or may not even ever come. Um, What, what, what made you do that? I I think my childhood, my parents and grandparents immigrated from Armenia and we grew up with nothing. And we grew up in Boston and, and we, we didn't know we were poor. We grew up in a house with 18 people. We had all our grandparents, aunts, uncles, everyone lived together. But we were fortunate enough to get into a private high school that was started by Harvard University, and my brother and I had really good grades. We like to tease. 
each other. He was a nerd, and he would make me study, and I was an athlete, and uh, I would make him work out so he wasn't, you know. He called me the jock. I called him the nerd, but combined, we spent enough time together, so we were well-rounded. But we had a lot of mentors growing up, people especially at this high school that said, look, you may be going to school with all these privileged kids, but we see more talent in you than any of them, and we want to mentor you and we want to help you. And so from a young age, I had these people that helped me. And I think because of that, it instilled in me um, a real strong urge to give back, which is why we do internships. And, you know, we let people come into our office in the summers and work with us um, so that they can learn about these things. And, and it takes time and it takes effort. Um, I'm doing an internship now for one of Ashley Lay's um, employees' nephews. And every Thursday he comes in and I'm like, oh, I got to get ready. I got to teach him something. But at the same time, I've got to do my job that day. So I just think my childhood and growing up, and to this day I still have mentors. There's people I seek out and say, look, how can I get better? I was telling you in the pre-talk, my wife teasing me about not being social media savvy. So one of the next things is I'm going to reach out to people like yourselves and do podcasts and social media because I don't want to leave any part of my business or marketing untouched, and I don't know a lot about it. So who do you talk to? You go find someone who's really good at it, and, and you pick their brain and hope that you can give back some uh, knowledge that they're looking for. But I think it's all about giving back. Wow, that's really inspiring. Um, to kind of switch gears a little bit, one thing I've been dying to know is what's one thing you wish you could have told yourself when you originally started your business, if you had one piece of advice to give yourself? Oh, that's easy. The biggest thing I have, and we were talking about this earlier, is I worked with you how many years ago, and we've closed so many loans. But the one thing I've never done, because the phone has never stopped ringing, I've never really managed my database and never really updated email addresses and phone numbers. And so many of the people I've worked with, my number hasn't changed. That's the one thing I will tell everybody. Never change your phone number. Because if people want to get a hold of you and you still have that same number, they can. Your email may change, the company may change, but as long as they can get a hold of you, they'll do business with you again. But that's probably, you know, the biggest thing that as I grew so fast, I never really managed my database. And, and again, we're trying to work on that now and update our databases because a lot of the people we worked with have changed jobs, changed companies, changed addresses. And we have to hope right now that we did such a good job with them and they still have my same number. And it works quite a bit of time, but I know that's one of the things if you ask me that I – we could do a better job of that's definitely something but like i said luckily the phone keeps ringing well that's good so funny story about that so um this is going to show the age gap uh, unfortunately because um at some point in the past year or so i emailed you to ask a question and i emailed your old email mm -hmm. address and it bounced yeah and you know because i'm an introvert and because i'm younger i did not pick up the phone call yeah you. yeah so I and assumed you were out of business until Ashley reminded me of you. Yeah, yeah. See, opportunity lost, and shame on me, you know. But it's just one of those things that, you know, and there's 24 hours in a day, and and yeah. you try so hard to to do everything to the best of your ability. But that's something that I truly regret. Is, you know. But luckily, you know, um, you did find me. Right. So. Well, I think what I think what that brings to your point about why you you know you need to try things that are, are not best for you because so often. You know, we choose to focus on what makes sense for us. And, you know, so you have no problem being on the phone. But, you know, me being more introvert and a little bit younger, I, I'm going to pick up an email. Or, or 
Oh, texting. Text. I get a million texts yeah. a day. And it's so crazy. I think in business, um, we've got to be open to even focusing on the areas that are um, uh, that we're less interested in. Sure. Because, um, you know, if, if we're not doing the thing, I always say you want to con- you want to contact the person the way they contacted you. Um, sure. Because that's they contact you the in whatever the default is to them. Well, I have two people on my team that are in their twenties and. Um, they're awesome for bridging that gap between me, who's you know 58, and them who are 24, and simple things like Zillow reviews. So a lot of people do online shopping to begin with, and uh, they'll look you up on Zillow. And if you don't have a lot of reviews, you won't score high. And so we started, you know, asking our clients after we close a mortgage to do Zillow reviews for us. And I was amazed that. It only took about 90 days to get 30 new reviews in there based on the amount of loans that we closed and what an impact it made. And it's something I don't normally think of, but, you know, um, somebody may never get to call you because they go to Zillow and they see, oh, he only had three reviews, so he must not be very good. And that would shock me and hurt me. But these are the things that I'm being made more aware of with my 20-something-year-old team members that is something that we can improve upon. I'm sorry, I keep dominating the questions, but, but the, <laughs> what's so interesting about that is, you know, because I'm selling a house right now, um, you know, uh, obviously Zillow dominates the conversation, and every realtor wants to say, well, the Zestimate Z- or whatever they call it doesn't matter. You can say that, but it does, because every person is going to Zillow, and they're looking at it. It gives them a benchmark of what they think the house is worth. Whether it is or not, it used to be the tax assessed value. That's what everyone used to look at, right? And that definitely means nothing as far as value of a house because the tax assessed values, if you own the house, you're hoping are lower than the value of your house, so you pay less taxes. But now the the Zestimate or the Trulia estimate is taken over for tax assessed value as far as what people think the house is worth. It's a a shame, too, because it hasn't... It, you know, you really need a qualified realtor to pull comps within the last 90 days to get a true value of what you think your house is worth. And, and I agree with that statement, but at the same time, the, the, the consumers don't know that. And um, consumers don't know this information, and they're going by that information. Um, you know, so like another, another challenge I have right now is I have a four-bedroom home, but Davidson County did not um, apparently uh, provide four-bedroom septic tank permits until recently so i can't qualify as a four bedroom home and they said well we'll put a we'll put a um a closet you know um a room with a closet on your stats i'm like that's fine realtors may know that but the homeowners yeah. that are looking don't know that yeah they're gonna they're gonna overlook your property right. just because of the way it's listed and, and, and that is i can't shame. control that yeah. and it's just so inter- like so i think what what this brings up is just because it's it's um, it may not be true or factual. You businesses have got to understand that there are things outside of their business that impacts. Absolutely, yeah. And and they have to absorb that. They have to deal with it. Um, the misinformation or fake news. Fake news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, in our business too is, I talk to some loan officers and I get calls all the time. People asking me for help, and I don't mind helping other loan officers, you know, it's part of the way we give back, but they'll call me up and say, yeah, you know, I've been in my office all day. And the first thing I told him, I said, first of all, you're in your office too much. Business is done outside of the office. 
working on files and loans that you are already having processes done in the office. And that's where I have the advantage where I can be out doing a podcast today and all of my 30, 40 loan files that I have in my pipeline right now are being worked on by my team. And that gets back to structuring a business that makes sense. So while I can do everything that my team does well, and I've taught them all how to do what they do, it's not what I enjoy doing. What I I enjoy doing is going out and being that personality and that face of the business that generates the business and builds the relationships. And I think that's what a lot of people miss is they get busy and then they get bogged down getting the work that they've done. So it's called the yo-yo effect. So you get real busy one month. Let's say you February, you know, you close 10 loans. Well, March, you closed too because you were so busy in February closing those loans, you didn't get anything done for March. You didn't make any new relationships. You didn't get any referrals. So that's the other thing over the 20 years we've realized is, you know, setting up a team that allows me to do what I do and spend, you know, 60% of my time out in the public and building the relationships and going to community events, um, is, which is what you really need to do. You need to be a recognizable expert in your field, and you can't be recognizable or known if you're in your office all day long. So that's just more advice that I give other young people in this industry is a lot of them will say, well, I need to study for, I need to get my ducks in a row and study for 12 months before, you know. And then a month later they find out their cousin closed on a mor- mortgage and didn't use them because they didn't know they did mortgages. They didn't get out there and let everyone know what they did because they didn't think they were ready for it. Well, the only way you get ready is to do business. And if you don't think you're ready for it and the business comes, then you seek out somebody that knows what they're doing to help you. But those are just some tidbits that I learned from day one. When I started in the mortgage business, I would meet someone. They said, how long have you been uh, doing mortgages? And I didn't lie. I said, look, I've been in finance my whole life. I had a checkbook when I was 21, so that counts to me as being in finance, right? But financing restaurants and building restaurants and buying my own personal houses, I was not worried at all about being qualified to do what I did. But you don't want to be prejudged when someone says, oh, I've been in the business for a month. And immediately they think you're not as qualified as this person I talked to. Now I have the benefit of 20 years experience and and all the, you know, accolades and, and awards to prove how good we are. But When I started 20 years ago, my demeanor was the same as it is now because I knew that I would take great care of my clients, and uh, I did. And that's why we grew so quickly. But I think that's some of the, you know, mentoring and advice that you have to give people is you have to get started. You have to put your foot in the water, and it might be cold, but then you have to just dive into it and um, just surround yourself with good people. So if someone asks you, hey, I'm a veteran, you know, can you tell me about, you know, VA loans? And you're not sure? You're like, look, I know a lot about them, but I have I have someone who's an expert at them that works in Fayetteville where the base is, and that's all they do. Let me call you back in an hour, and I'll give you all the details. I want to I want to make sure I don't miss one thing. And being a good salesperson is, is being honest with someone and then going and doing what you said you were going to do, and then you got all that information. And you get that VA expert from Fayetteville to walk you through that process every step of the way. And by the time you're done, guess what? You are a VA expert, you know? So that's part of the growth in our first few years is um, what we did. We weren't afraid uh, to fail and we didn't fail because we weren't afraid to. That's incredible. You keep circling back to, you know, being able to touch so many lives. And I think that's a testament to 
the beauty of customer service. And it sounds like you focus so much of your business on customer service. What do you think are the most important things you provide your customers? Is it the, you know, response times? Is it the connection? Is it the constant questions and answers? Every client is different. And you really, there's some clients I work with that have owned 10 homes. And basically, they just want to know what your rate is, how quickly can you close, and can I sign my disclosures electronically? And, And that's fine. Other people need hand-holding, and uh, they get stressed about the process. And But the biggest thing we offer, first of all, is accessibility. So all of my clients know they can call me 24 hours a day up till 10 o'clock at night. And that accessibility makes them feel comfortable. So the first time they call me at 9 o'clock at night, they always start, I'm so sorry to call you at home at 9 o'clock at night. And the first thing I say to them, look, I don't mind. I said, this is what I do for a living. You feel free to call me. The next thing they generally say is, this is a stupid question. I'm like, there are no stupid questions. So you have to put them at ease to know that, look, while I do this every day, you don't. You know. So what unfortunately a lot of lenders do is they use mortgage terms that don't make sense to the client. So if I say DTI, what does that mean to you? Nothing. It means debt to income ratio, which is a very important thing in qualifying. So the loan officer will say, well, your DTI is a little high. And they're like, eh. Is that a cholesterol reading or what? Do you have access to my medical records? What is that? So you have to be very cognizant of how you come across to people when you're talking to them. You can't be condescending 